Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives Today's episode was so much fun to record My good friend, Jason Fitzgerald Is back on the show And for very good reason He has just put together a new course or I don't know exactly what you call it, but either way, it's all it's called bodyweight power. And it's for runners to help them get stronger and stronger as athletes and to do so with body weight exercises. And I could not wait to talk to him about it. Jason is the founder of Strength Running. He has an unbelievable podcast, a YouTube channel, a newsletter. He's you know, he writes for Trail Runner Mag and he puts out other work as well. He's everywhere in the running community, and for good reason. Uh, he just has put out some really good work, and he's always been a huge proponent, as the uh, as the name of it would tell you, of being a stronger runner and lifting weights to do just that. And when he came out with Bodyweight Power, I really wanted to talk to him about it because that has not been his normal thing. Usually it's about lifting weights, getting in the gym, um, and doing so in a way that complements and accentuates runner's athletic ability. So talking about the bodyweight side of things, was a new thing for him. And I could not wait to talk to him about it. And that's exactly what we did in this episode. If you head over to strengthrunning.com forward slash, I think it's bodyweight power or bodyweight. It's one of the two. When you go to strengthrunning.com, you'll just see it on there. It's, it's, It's right there. So if you go over to strengthrunning.com forward slash bodyweight and use code rambling, you're going to save 20% on this. You know, you have basically two different course options. Either way, you'll save 20% on either one. Which is huge. And I, you know, first of all, kudos to Jason. I did not ask him for that. I just wanted to talk to him uh, about it here on the show. He was his idea to do that. And I really appreciate it because I know, first of all, that I'm going to take advantage of that. All right. This basically, this, um, this code starts working on Monday, the same day that this podcast will come out. And I know I'm going to use the code because I want to be a better runner and I want to be stronger. And I know that this course will help me do just that. So without further ado, let's get into my episode and my conversation with Jason Fitzgerald. All right. Jason Fitzgerald is back on the show. Jason, thanks for coming back, my man. Oh, I had to come back. I can't turn down that invitation, Matt. This is always so much fun. I've been trying to, I was, I was racking my brain before. I think the last time we spoke was for the virtual summit that we did. Yeah, it was 2020 or no, it was January, 2021, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun. We, we kicked that off and um, yeah, that was a fun week. And then we put it out as a podcast, which was always like nice to, as you know, nice to double dip your content a little bit when you can. <laughs> and then take it from there. Um, but I'm really excited to talk with you. You're well-known in the industry and someone who most of my listeners probably know off the top of their head. With that said, as we were talking before we started to record, um, you, like I, have like seven part-time jobs. So let's just let's touch on some of those before we dive into um, the topic that I really wanted to get you on uh, on for today. Yeah, so I I do feel like I have so many part-time jobs. Uh, I am the strength running guy, which means I'm the host of the strength running podcast. I have the strength running YouTube channel where I upload videos every week to help runners think better about certain topics that runners care about, whether that's injury prevention, uh, getting their mindset right, or strength training. And 
you know, of course, there's the strengthrunning.com site. I operate the uh, Strength Running email list and put together a lot of great goodies for my my subscribers there. And of course, I'm a running coach and I do a lot of writing as well, currently contributing to the Lifehacker blog and also Trail Runner magazine with some monthly articles. So yeah, I do contribute in a lot of different ways to the running community, but I don't think I'd have it any other way. I, I just love talking about running. I love talking about the training behind it. I love talking about the physiology and the training theory and ultimately helping runners become better runners. You know, this was something that I think I was just so personally obsessed with for so long that it was just such a a strong part of my identity. It is just baked into my DNA. And I'm just so happy that I can share that love for the sport with others and hopefully help other runners avoid a lot of the big mistakes that I made in my running career, because I made just about every <laughs> poor mistake that that you could make and, and suffer the consequences. Um, but yeah, part of my job is to highlight those mistakes and get runners thinking a little bit more strategically about their training. Cause I really think that, you know, if you know more about the sport, if you understand the process that you have to go through to get better, to improve, to get stronger, to get faster, and, you know, to stay healthy, to prevent injuries. If you understand all that, you're going to make better training decisions and you're ultimately going to become a much better runner. So that is what Jason Fitzgerald does on a daily basis. I noticed you didn't include running as one of the part-time jobs. Does this running count as a part-time job? Because I feel like with 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 this process, at least for me, I know that there's kind of the element of like, I better be running if I'm going to be doing all this running stuff, just as like, a, you know, I'm still in the game type feel to it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm still running just about every day. I'm admittedly dealing with a little bit of a, a sore foot right now because I was a little overzealous with a long run. You know, even even the coaches make poor decisions every once in a while. But yeah, I mean, I'm running almost every day and I'm still doing workouts. I'm still doing long runs. I'm still doing the strength training. I'm running strides, dynamic warm ups. So I'm doing a lot of the same things that I talk about all the time in my content and in my coaching. Um, I'm not running the 90 miles a week like I was, you know, years and years ago when I was training at my competitive peak. Uh, but I still just love the process of training. And maybe I didn't include it because I don't really consider it a job. You know, it is just something I love. You know, I went out in the woods today and did only a couple miles of trail running because my foot was a little sore. But you know, I had my camera with me. I recorded a video out there. And so I'm mixing business and pleasure all the time. And I just love it, you know, because for, for me, running isn't a job. It's not a chore. I just love doing it. That's a great answer. And within your own athletic life, whether that's running or getting stronger and, and working on, you know, your prehab, rehab, and just every element of being a competitive athlete who wants to stay healthy, how much do you stick with best practices versus trying out new things? Because here you are, you're always trying to learn, to improve, to incorporate new things, not only in your own running, but in some of the kind, you know, and then all the content that you're putting out. So how much of this becomes, you know, doing what you know is best versus doing little guinea pig type stuff with, with different elements that you're currently researching or exploring? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there has to be a healthy balance between the two, because I think best practices and sound training principles and a lot of the existing knowledge that we have about how distance runners should really structure their training. 
I think we have a pretty good idea of, of how to do that right now. You know, we went through a kind of in a topsy-turvy history of training. You know, you can kind of go back and you look in the 50s and 60s and there was Roger Bannister. And, you know, the the idea at that time was very low mileage, very low volume, but high intensity. You know, he might only run a couple miles a day, but he's running quarter mile repeats, you know, under 60 seconds. And it was a very intense program. And then that kind of evolved into the 70s and 80s where you have very high mileage training, but there really wasn't as much strength training. There really wasn't as much speed work in that. And I think now we've finally figured out that a hybrid approach is best. You need both. And, you know, there aren't really too many fringe training theories that, you know, I'm going to go experiment with because, you know, there, there's a reason why those fringe training ideas are fringe because they really don't work for most people. Of course, you're going to find outliers, but, you know, the whole it worked for me bit doesn't really convince me because uh, you can pretty much almost do anything with your training and then say, well, I still accomplished my goal. So this must have worked. And, and for me, that's not good enough. So I try to expose myself to a lot of things that I am either talking about in my material, the advice I'm giving my athletes, so that I have a better understanding of it. And, and I think one of, the, <clears throat> one of the more beneficial aspects of my job is that I get to talk to really smart people all the time, you know, mostly through the Strength Rank podcast. I get to talk to, you know, physical therapists and strength coaches and certified mental performance consultants and high-level running coaches and elite athletes and all these people who are really at the top of their game. And so I get this very high-level view of how are you supposed to structure your training? You know, what are you doing with pro runners that allows them to operate at these amazing peak performance levels? And so most of what I do falls under the umbrella of best practices. But occasionally I'll, you know, hear some idea or something and be like, ooh, I wanna, I wanna experiment with this or I wanna see what this feels like. Or, you know, I'm gonna go do a workout up at 10,000 feet altitude where I live here in Colorado just to experience what that is like. And then once I do it, well, I'm never going to do that again because that was awful. <laughs> but, you know, at least at least I have that exposure to it. So I better understand it and I can talk about it with some nuance. Yeah, that's that's really well said. And this is this is why you're such a good podcaster. Look at these answers. They're crushing it. Um, and it's funny because I have the same thing. And I, I oftentimes, you know, when I when I break into my coaching role, oftentimes I'll like end up being kind of repeating workouts that I've done recently that I really enjoyed. Be like, oh, I loved this. This person's going to really like this. And I find myself falling into those cycles uh, from time to time. I guess the opposite is true. Like if I have a really, if I have a workout that I did, I'm like, well, that was not, that was distasteful in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm, I'm less likely to to put that into my athlete's calendar. And, and it uh, it is kind of a fun way to approach things. Um, but let's talk about what you're doing over strength running. When I, you know, someone who's known you for a while and I consume a lot of your content, you know, your stuff at strength running has always been twofold. It's getting people to be a stronger athlete, right? With athlete being the preeminent word there, right? As you know, a stronger athlete, but also more consistent because of the injury prevention element of being a strong athlete and maintaining that strength over an athlete's life cycle, um, literally and metaphorically, frankly. Um, so a lot of the content you put out in the past in terms of getting stronger has, again, not, not all the time, but a lot of it has focused on saying, okay, it's important to, you know, whether it's lift heavy things, but to really work on becoming a stronger athlete and not simply being a runner. 
now, this week, you put out a new course, uh, Body Weight Power, really focusing on the body weight element of this. And and I've mentioned to you offline, just the fact that this was coming from you, someone who is focused really heavily on strength as a key element to uh, improvement and sustained performance to come up with a body weight uh, course I thought was really instructive. So I guess first things first, when, when did this idea start to germinate for you? Oh, the the idea itself started forming in my brain a little, almost two years ago. You know, is the, the very beginning of the pandemic when, uh, you know, a lot of folks couldn't get into the gym and they, and they couldn't do their strength workouts. And so, you know, I think a lot of us pivoted a bit and started talking about at-home workouts. We started talking about running streaks and virtual runs, you know, all the things that that sort of were more popular at the beginning of the pandemic. And I realized that, you know, while I had a, a weightlifting program, I had a program that runners could purchase, they could get in the gym and they would know exactly what to do twice a week for their gym workouts for a 16 week cycle. But if you don't have access to a gym, you can't get in a commercial gym and you either don't have the space or you don't have, you know, frankly, the finances to to purchase all the equipment for a home gym. Cause you and need remember a- at the beginning of the pandemic, you couldn't even purchase anything anyway. Remember yeah. how quickly all that stuff sold out in like late spring, early summer, like people tried to build all these home gyms. Like there was nothing available. No, you couldn't get a squat rack. You couldn't even get a lot of different kettlebells. So it was really challenging yeah, to, you had to do to like the whole like get a bar, get like paint cans filled with cement. Like one of those like yeah. old movies. <laughs> yeah. Like an old Rocky, you know, yes, montage exactly. where you're, you know, you're, you're just picking up your daughter and throwing her across the room as part of your strength <laughs> training session. <laughs> so I've been thinking about this for a long time. And one of the reasons why it has taken so long is that, you know, I've created a lot of different strength routines in the past. You know, here is a, a one-off 10, 15-minute strength workout. And a lot of these routines focus on a, a certain skill or a certain weakness that runners might have. So, for example, you know, the ITB rehab routine is a popular routine that a lot of runners use that I developed a long time ago. And I probably shouldn't have named it the ITB rehab routine because it's really for any runner and it's a hip and and glute focused strength routine. So very running specific, really helpful if you have IT band syndrome, piriformis issues, um, or or any of those similar injuries. Uh, And then there's, you know, the MACE single leg routine. So if you have any imbalances, the MACE routine is really good. It's teasing those out and helping you work more on your single leg strength. But I realized that you know, these single routines are great, but they don't progress. And there's a lot of questions that then come up. You're like, okay, I have this 15 minute body weight strength workout. You know, maybe we're using a simple implement like a medicine ball or a kettlebell, but am I supposed to do this for 16 weeks straight in my training plan? Am I never going to do anything different? Is this appropriate for me to do in week one and also in week 16, the week of my race? And so there's a huge hole in the type of strength training that I think runners should be doing. You know, ultimately, I think it should be progressive. You know, it needs to build on itself. It also needs to be periodized. So it needs to sort of match the goals of the training cycle that you're in. So in other words, you don't want to be doing, you know, very intense, explosive, plyometric-oriented work 
in week two of your marathon training plan, just like you wouldn't want to be doing a very fast, explosive track workout at week two of your marathon training plan. You know, it's base training at that phase of your training. So you sort of have to match the strength training with the goals of your running throughout the cycle. So it's progressive, it's periodized. Uh, it's obviously going to be running specific. So, you know, we're not going to be training like bodybuilders. We're not going to be doing super high reps and trying to train endurance. We get enough of that stimulus when we're out there running. Uh, we're not isolating individual muscles. You know, we're not having a buys and tries day or a, a back day. You know, we're runners. We don't need to, you know, strength train in that way. Uh, and then, you know, this is a power oriented program. And so that does take things in a different direction than a lot of other strength programs, because, you know, ultimately as runners, we have to recognize that running, I think is a power sport. It's very ballistic. It's very plyometric. You know, every stride that you take is essentially a one legged hop. It's a very coordinated one legged hop and a hop is a type of plyometric and that is a power movement. And if we can get better at not just being stronger so that we can be more injury resilient, if we, you know, it's going to improve our running economy, but if we add in that element of power, that's where we actually get faster because that allows us to utilize our strength and turn it into speed. So you're at the end of the race and, you know, you're tired, but you can still recruit more of your muscle fibers into a really fast finishing kick so you can finish strong. Or, you know, you're at mile 22 of a marathon. Well, you need to be strong to like keep your form together so you don't start falling apart. You know, one of my favorite things to do just to witness the train of human carnage is to go to mile 24, or mile 25 of a marathon, and you will see some of those saddest people in the world, you know, trudging along to the finish line. And, and I think it's, it's a great experience and I'm being a little glib here, but I think it really, number one, it makes you appreciate the marathon and it makes you appreciate how difficult it is. And so if you don't want to be so like, you go there those... just looking for clients, you're like at mile 24, <laughs> you're like strength running, baby. You wouldn't be, you'd feel fine right now. Yeah. I'm just handing out my, my <laughs> website address on a card. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, you, you sort of can see like what the marathon does to people. And so one of my goals is to try to fix that. Let's try to have runners not just be able to keep their form together, not just do it healthy without any injuries, but also let's try to have a kick at the end too. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I think is the current goal of my strength training courses is really to, to make them as methodical and strategic in their approach as the training plans themselves, you know, as the running plan, because we would never do the same workout every week for 16 weeks and then expect, oh, why am I not getting any faster? You know, there's an obvious answer to that question. Uh, so I don't think we should do that with our strength training as well. That's a great point. And I recall, I don't even remember when this was, some point a year or two ago, Emily Sisson, who doesn't post a lot on social media, she's definitely more of the social media reticent pro runners, but she put out a post because people had asked her, you know, what her strength routine was. And um, she's always been a very strong runner, even her days back at, at Providence College. And she had talked about how, like, you know, she had previously done a lot of bodyweight stuff. And what she realized was exactly what you mentioned was that it got to the point where she wasn't, she was losing the, she was no more, there was no more ROI for her with that stuff that she needed to progress to using weights because she just had progressed to the point where she just wasn't getting stronger by doing what she'd always done because her body had gotten stronger and it had reached the limit or the utility 
of the body weight exercises that she was currently using. I bring that up to say, for a lot of people, when they hear body weight exercises, that's just a synonym for high rep exercises, right? They, they kind of view that as one in the same. And yet you just mentioned, like, this isn't about high reps. So what is the, the difference there that some of us think about when we think like body weight must mean high rep? And where are you coming from where you're kind of expressing the opposite view? Yeah. So high rep is essentially doing an endurance oriented workout. You know, you're doing a high rep squat workout whenever you go and do a 10 mile run. You know, you're doing quarter squats a couple thousand times, you know, for every mile that you're running. So we don't really need to do that too much in our strength training. Now, with that said, doing additional repetitions is one way to make body weight strength exercises more difficult. You know, and at the end of the day, we have to recognize that the number one way to progress and to make our strength training more challenging is to add weight. So if we can't do that, if we are structuring at-home workouts, we have a couple strategies available to us. Number one, we can increase the reps that we're doing. So that is one strategy. But if you're only doing that, you're really just not going to get the same adaptations. You're not going to get the same stimulus from the workouts. The next thing that we can do is we can add more running-specific movements. And this is where different exercises can progress from a more basic version to a more running-specific version. And a clear way of doing this is turning a two-legged exercise into a one-legged exercise, you know, because running is a one-legged sport. It not only makes the exercise more challenging, but it also does make the exercise more running-specific. And, you know, I've alluded to this, but Another way that you can progress with your strength training is to do more advanced, complex versions of the same exercise. And so, you know, let's take, for example, the side plank. You know, a lot of runners do planks all the time. And I've fallen into this trap where, you know, how many planks can we do before, you know, a one minute plank just gets kind of easy. And you're just sitting there and you're like, am I getting anything out of this? And, and like you said earlier, I think that was a great comment. You know, the ROI of the exercise just diminishes over time. The stronger you get, the more you have to do. And so if we take an exercise like the side plank, you know, if you're sitting there in the side plank position, of course, you can start with your knees on the ground, then you can progress to having your ankle on the ground and your weight on your forearm. Now you can add in maybe some lateral leg lifts. And that's great because not only is it going to make the exercise harder, but you're moving in a different plane of motion than running. So that's going to make the exercise more challenging. And I mean, you're doing an exercise that's great for the hips, very running specific right there. You can also do what's called thread the needle, where you do a rotation and you kind of rotate underneath and put your arm in between your torso and the ground. And that is, that's great too, because it, again, adds a different plane of motion. Now you're working in the transverse plane. And a lot of runners think that you don't really do any transverse activity when you're running, but there is some rotation with every stride that you're taking, you know, as your arms cross your body a little bit. And, you know, every time you look behind you, you need to be comfortable in that plane of motion. And so there's a lot of different ways that we can continue to add difficulty and complexity with uh, our, our strength training. And, you know, I think another good example is if you look at, you know, a body weight squat, probably an exercise that every athlete listening to this podcast has done. You can start with a body weight squat. You can move to a sumo squat. 
then you can use uh, maybe a lightweight. Maybe you have a medicine ball. Maybe you have a toddler lying around. <laughs> you can add, add a lightweight to the sumo squat. And you can also do a rotation with the sumo squat. Next, you can progress to a single leg squat. And then finally, you could do a jump squat, which is a more plyometric version of this exercise. So there's so many ways that we can take an exercise, make it more challenging, make it more running specific. We can add complexity. We can move in a different plane of motion. And if we're doing this in a strategic way, then we're going to get many of the same benefits we would get if we were lifting heavier weight in the gym. Now, the big caveat here is that once you've done all this, the next step in this progression is to lift weights in the gym. I do think if we're going to talk about ideal strength training, you know, what is the perfect schedule for runners, for distance runners? I do think that includes some weightlifting in the gym. But, you know, there's so many people who aren't, aren't feeling comfortable right now getting into a commercial gym or can't afford the cost or can't set up a home gym or, you know, any of these big reasons why they don't have access to these, you know, expensive, heavy implements. You know, this is the next best thing, you know, trying to do the same thing at home that you would do in the gym, the same goals, the same physiological benefits, but doing the best we can to do it with body weight exercises and, you know, maybe a simple implement or two. Right. And I, I think it's it's also so important, and you just brought this up, that not to let the fact that you can't do something perfectly stop you from doing it all, doing it at all. I mean, uh, you know, how many, how many runners have been like, oh, I can't go outside and do my Five to my five to eight mile easy run, so I'm not going to run today. It's like, well, you would have been fine. Twenty minutes was not isn't the ideal here, but it's better than zero, right? So while there may be a perfect situation, if you can't reach that perfection perfect situation um, in the short term or even in the long term, that doesn't mean that you can't you know maximize the situation that you have in an effort to get the most out of your time and availability and you know whatever crazy schedule you have. Um, in terms of getting faster, I think it's well documented that there's really there's two there's two planks here, right? There's improving your fitness, whether that's VO2 max, your aerobic capacity, all the all the things within improving fitness, and then there's improving economy, right? Those are the two bedrock ways to get faster. So, from a improving your economy perspective, I know you have this as one of the the, the key components or key reasons why people should get stronger and should do strength training work. How does this even improve um, improve economy, and why is that even important? Yeah, economy is really important, and I think it's more important the longer races that you might be training for, because then small improvements in economy get magnified over the distance and really add up to a substantial margin of improvement. So strength training does improve your economy in a couple different ways. Uh, I think number one, it allows you to access more of your muscle fibers. So let's say you're at mile 22 of a marathon, your slow twitch muscle fibers are going to be pretty fried at this point. And it's going to, your body's going to start to recruit some of your fast twitch muscle fibers. They're usually not used for this purpose, but they can certainly be, um, be accessed for, you know, powering the rest of your marathon. And an athlete who has experienced strength training is going to be much better at accessing more of their muscle fibers. It's almost like, uh, they are better coordinated with their muscles, uh, and, and that's a secondary benefit, too, that does improve your economy. Um, and, and this is also really helpful when it comes to having a, a good finishing kick. You know, when your slow twitch muscle fibers are 
exhausted and they've tapped out, you really need to be at, to be able to access those, you know, type two fast twitch fibers and strength training is going to help you do that. You know, because when you are deadlifting, when you are squatting, you're going to be accessing more of those fibers. Um, the other way that strength training helps improve your running economy is that it improves your coordination. You know, I think, uh, I heard a quote a while back that I don't think I'll ever forget because it was so prescient. It was, you know, strength training is coordination training under resistance. And so it's a great way to be able to control your body, especially when you're under high levels of fatigue, you know, and I think I used this example earlier, but you know, if you go to the end of the marathon and you see that train of human carnage, uh, those people are under high levels of fatigue, not just cardiovascular and aerobic fatigue, but also muscular fatigue. And the athletes who have experience with strength training, you know, they're, they're actually really strong. They have, um, you know, competence with those strength movements. They're going to be able to, to steer their ship. That's another great line I heard in a podcast interview where it's like, you are responsible for steering your ship. Let's not lean to the side. Let's not lean way back. Let's make sure we're landing underneath our body and not reaching out and overstriding and all the things that you kind of see when people get really, really tired. Strength training is going to help keep your form together for a much longer period of time. And, you know, that's also really helpful with injury prevention because a lot of the times your injuries start to pop up, you know, really start to irritate something when you're really tired, whether it's the end of a workout, end of a long run, or, you know, the end of a half or a marathon you know, that's when you start having all these inefficient movement patterns and the strength training can really help reduce those, help you keep your form together and allow you to, to finish the race with a lesser injury risk. You know, of course, nothing is going to take it down to zero, but it's pretty much the best we can do besides making sure we're adequately prepared and trained for whatever race that we're training for. Jason, that, that exact situation happened to me in the 2011 Cape Cod Marathon. It, the exact situation i was i was well trained i was ready to go um i didn't do any strength work all right but i think i had a really good you know 5 to 6 month cycle leading in and i was really excited and here we go and then this was before they changed the race course so the sec the cape cod marathon used to be basically flat for the first half second half there was nothing flat again weren't huge hills but it was just it was up and down, right? It was 30 feet up, 30 feet down, 30 feet up, 30 feet down. So ultimately, it's not like it wasn't this huge cataclysmic event, right? We all hit that big hill, like, oh my God, what am I going to do with this big downhill? We're like, oh my God, I'm trash going down this thing. But ultimately, at mile 21, 22, after repeatedly leaning, un unbeknownst to me at the time, leaning back on a lot of these downhills, I developed knee pain for the first time in my life to the point where despite having pretty good fitness, and I was really excited about that race, I had to do a walk run for the last three miles because of acute knee pain on the outside of my knee. And it was purely due to leaning back on the downhills. Now, part of this was just not, you know, I, I wasn't aware that I was doing it. If I had thought through, I maybe I could have, you know, mitigated some of this. But another part was, you know, it was like what you just mentioned. I, I wasn't, I wasn't quite strong enough. Also, this was, again, this was, they had flipped it. If the hilly part had been in the beginning and not the end, this also probably wouldn't have happened. This was because it was later on in the race and it turned me off to the marathon for like a decade. That experience of like, I was so excited. I trained so well. My coach 
was so excited for me. It was everything was coming together and it was like, oh my God, I had, I can't believe I walked across the finish line there. I was so well-trained and it was dispiriting. And I look back on it now and like, if I had done something a little different in training, maybe I hadn't, I wouldn't have put myself in that situation. Yeah. The marathon has a, a very sneaky way of magnifying anybody's you know, they're, they're the lowest common denominator, you know, the, the chink in their armor, whatever the thing is in your individual, you know, uh, in your body that is going to break first. If you run a challenging marathon, and I think anyone who's run the Boston marathon too, will understand this. Cause that's a very challenging course. You know, your, your weaknesses will be on full display. And, you know, very similar thing happened to me, Matt, when I ran the 2014 Boston Marathon. Um, I went out a little bit too fast. You know, I did not take advantage of those downhills, you know, as productively as I should have at the beginning. And, you know, my IT band really started to hurt, you know, around mile, I think it was 21 or 22, you know, as soon as you start coming down the Newton Hills on the backside. And so for me, that was, you know, a great example of the fact that for that course in my personal weaknesses and imbalances and likelihood of getting injured where I usually get injured, I should have been strength training much more seriously. And, and I was doing a lot of body weight strength routines, uh, but there was no progression. You know, they were the same routines I had been doing for a very long time. And I think I would have benefited from either a, a progressive periodized program or some actual weightlifting. Cause I think I just needed more strength to be able to, um, physically cover those Hills. Cause it wasn't an aerobic issue for me. And, and I think a lot of runners feel that they're like, I can run now and I want to run fast, but my legs are shot. That, that's an example of a muscular issue. And I think anybody who's run a marathon probably has experienced that where, you know, the thing in a marathon that starts to fail is either your fuel, you know, you run out of fuel, or it's the muscular side of things. It's your muscles are so fatigued from being on your feet on the pavement for hours and hours that you either get injured or you just have to stop and walk. So the strength training can help bridge that gap between your aerobic fitness and your muscular fitness. Right. And we keep saying strength training, but as you mentioned, this is more than that, right? There's a plyometric element within the program. For those people who are familiar with the term plyometrics, even that can be not a misnomer, but maybe it's kind of misplaced. We think about it in terms of like, all right, we see like you know, high jumpers, long jumpers, triple jumpers doing plyometrics for obvious reasons to be more explosive in their events. We may have seen it uh, if we played other sports when we were younger, right? You see you know, a lot of uh, field and ball sports and court sports incorporate this as part of explosive elements uh, within those sports, which are maybe a little bit less endurance focused. So what about plyometrics is useful for an endurance runner? There's so many things. I mean, I, I think one of the things that you get from plyometrics is the fact that they do help a lot with efficiency because what a plyometric is, is a, is a power type of movement. And, you know, that leads to the question, well, what is a power movement? What are we trying to do with something like this? And so power is really a physical skill that is strength expressed quickly. And so you think of a power exercise, you're usually moving very quickly. There's usually a jump or a hop. Or if you're talking about an Olympic weightlifting exercise, you're trying to throw the bar up in the air or pick it up very quickly. You know, there is a speed component to these exercises. And, you know, that enables us runners to do exactly what we want to do on the race course. You know, we want to generate a lot of power with, a, with each stride that we're running, but 
you know, we can't sit there and push off the ground for three seconds. You know, that, that's just not going to work uh, as, as runners. Instead, we need to hit the ground really hard with our stride, with our foot, and impart a lot of force against the ground. But we need to do it in a quarter of a second. And then we need to, boom, get our foot off the ground, have that high turnover, that high cadence. And so when you think about it, you know, running is a plyometric sport. So those plyos that we're doing, essentially we're practicing running almost like when we do running drills. You know, form drills are sort of this exaggerated way of improving our running form. It helps us better understand our mechanics. It helps us isolate individual components of our mechanics. And plyometrics are similar. They allow us to generate force in slightly different ways through different hops and skips and jumps. And then that's going to improve our coordination and our economy when we're out there running. Uh, Not to mention the fact that, you know, runners who are able to do more plyometrics and be consistent and progressive with their approach, you know, then they're going to be much faster runners, you know, especially if they're, you know, racing the 5k or the 8k or the 10k or shorter, you know, I think they're really helpful for the shorter distances uh, for speed, but for the marathon, they're not as important for speed as they are for, you know, general athleticism, coordination, and your running economy. So no matter what race that's how fast you run the marathon, right? I mean, there's going to be people who are running the marathon listening to this, who are planning on running at like 630 pace and other people who are listening to this who say, hey, I would love to run a 630 pace for a two mile race, right? I mean, there's a, such a wide disparity of what these ranges can mean. And I bring that up to because if someone is lucky enough to see professional runners in person, it's a very different experience. And this is the same thing with every professional athlete, no matter the sport. But I think When we see running on television or through a screen, you really can't get a sense of the explosive power that even marathoners have uh, in their stride um, because you're not seeing them in context of them progressing down the court or field or pitch or whatever. Like if they're just in the middle of the screen, it's just how like the broadcast is set up. They're not going to set up a broadcast where there's a fixed camera and then the people just run past it. But if you're just sitting there watching, that's the feeling that you have and it's awe-inspiring to see the power that even marathoners are exhibiting in their stride. And it's easy, I think, to sell people on how how effective plyometrics can be, even for a marathoner, when they witness that, as opposed to just saying, hey, yeah, I see clips of Kipchoge online. And and yeah, obviously he's super fast. But it's like, no, you're, you don't quite get it until, not that I've seen him in person, but I've seen other people. And until you witness it and see the power for yourself and go, oh my God, someone can hold this for two hours? Like this is, this really is mind bending. Yeah. And there was that great, uh, interactive exhibit almost where you, they had a big treadmill set up running. I was thinking at, about that as I was telling that story. Yeah. Yeah. Running at Kipchoge's speed. And, and there was like, you know, get on this treadmill and see how long you could run his marathon pace. And, and most runners could run it for, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, maybe. And then they would just get shot off the back. Uh, but, but this brings up a really good point. And, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that, plyometrics are more beneficial for shorter distance athletes because they can be really beneficial for say a marathoner, the faster you are. So the more competitive you are, the higher percentage of your maximum is your marathon pace. So, you know, I'll just use myself an example because I know it really well. You know, my marathon pace was, I would say about a minute faster than my easy running pace. You know, the, the fast end of my easy running pace. 
Now, for a lot of people, that's going to be way too fast for them. They, they can't run a marathon a minute faster than the fast end of their easy running pace. And so for someone who can do that, plyometrics are going to be more important. Uh, now, if you're running your marathons roughly the same as your easy running pace or only a little bit faster, plyometrics are going to have more of an importance when it comes to, you know, the things we talked about earlier, your economy and just general coordination and athleticism. But if you are a faster marathoner, you know, if you're uh, a guy running 310 or faster, I would say somewhere in that range, you know, plyos are going to be helping your performance too. So that's a, a good distinction. Right. And I think it's important for people to practice that range of motion that exceeds what their easy pace, you know, range of motion is in their legs, right? If like, if the only hip movement that you're getting is the hip movement that associate, associated with your stride length, like then you're, there's nothing to improve upon. And I think, I think also we have marathoners have experienced this. I experienced this last week where you're in the process of building up to a marathon. Maybe it's not that far away. And then you, you know, do the, the odd spot, you know, speed workout in there um, to just to make sure that you still have still have a little bit of that juice as you're getting you know dialed into your marathon pace, and it feels like oh my god, where's the bounce? Where's the juice in here? It's it's all gone, and you know it's it's in the moment you know that's just a short term uh, effect, but I think over an extended period of time, if you don't dial that in, and the only time you ever jump is if you're jumping into bed, then you know if you don't you know if you don't use it, you lose it a little bit. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. You do lose it if you don't use it. One of the things that you lose the fastest is that, you know, neuromuscular fitness, you know, that ability to do form drills, the ability to do a 100 or 200 meter repetition very, very fast, the ability to sprint and have it feel smooth, uh, or the ability to, to lift a, a very heavy weight. You know, that is, all of those activities really speak to the brain muscle connection. And, and that's one of the first things that goes because, you know, that is, that is more defined as a skill where your ability to go run 10 miles, you know, you could take a couple of weeks off and then go still run 10 miles. Your endurance is not going to erode that quickly. Uh, but some of the other physical skills uh, definitely do. And, you know, this is pick up quickly. That's like the benefit of it too. It's like, and it picks up quickly. That's why like you can do base building forever. And then like, you can really dial in the speed stuff four to six weeks before the race. Because it goes, the up and down nature of it is the same on each end of the, is it the parabola? Whatever, whatever graph I'm creating with my hands as I'm talking to you. You know, I think you get, you get both sides of it. The, the, the front end and the back end usually mimic each other. Right. And, and that's another good reason why you don't really want to do too much intensity for too long. You can only maintain it for a little while. And, you know, this conversation about, you know, why we want to have a bigger range of motion in our hips and why we want to run fast regularly, even if we're training for a marathon, why we want to do a variety of strength exercises in our program. All this speaks to the fact that as runners, we can't just run. And I like to tell my, my runners, don't even think about yourself as a runner. You are an athlete that specializes in running. And that might seem like semantics, but I really think it's a helpful mindset shift because if you have that frame, if you think of yourself, I'm an athlete, I specialize in running, but I am an athlete, that all of a sudden opens up new training opportunities for you. You're not just going to run, then you'll be a runner, but you are an athlete. So you're going to do strength training. You're going to do form drills. You're going to do dynamic flexibility work. You're going to run fast, sometimes very, very fast sometimes. 
And, you know, all of these things really combine into a training program that's that's more effective. It is more holistic. It's more well-rounded and ultimately it leads to better runners. You know, your, your injury risk is going to be lower. You're going to have much more capability on the race course too. And this is one of those things that we just have to embrace as adults. You know, when we're kids and people, those of us who are parents who have kids, we talk about it all the time. And you, I, you and I have both read, you know, data on this that supports it, that, you know, people who play multiple sports are stronger, better athletes who get injured less. And it's for the exact, all the reasons that you already mentioned, right? They're using all these different muscles. They're doing all these different kinds of um you know, movements and all this stuff, right? So someone plays soccer and then they play basketball and then they do track, right? They're, they're doing all of these things. They're incorporating different elements within their body type and body structure. And as adults, we just don't do that, right? You're just not going to find the person who's like, yeah, I run four, four days a week and then I'm also in a basketball league and then I'm also in a soccer league, right? It's just, we don't do that as adults. And I feel like that's why Again, not to say that younger runners shouldn't do any of this stuff, but I feel like as we get older, this stuff basically needs to be implemented because we're not doing those things as as young, that we did when we were youngsters that could really take the place of some of this stuff. But it's just not really feasible for so many of us to have, you know, the, the multi-seasonal sports structure that we had when we were like, you know, 12, 14, 15 or whatever. Yeah, it gets so much harder when you're when you're a grown up and you don't have access to sports, you don't have access to gym class, you don't you're not going to playgrounds anymore. You know, I'm still bringing my kids to playgrounds all the time. And, you know, when I first started playing hard on the playground, I was so sore from the crawling, the climbing, all the different contortions and the direction changes that you're doing, like running around. And, you know, you could go to the playground and get in the most effective full body athletic workout possible. Right. It's like adult ninja warrior for sure. Yeah, kids are doing that all the time. And and then we wonder why, oh, I did a trail run for the first time ever and I and I hurt my leg. It's like why why is something as simple as just going off-road for a couple miles something that's going to injure you? It's like, well, you haven't really been doing anything else besides easy running on the road. And, you know, you might actually have some decent endurance, but all of those other physical skills that that we want as athletes have been eroded over time. So, you know, it's funny, I just recorded uh, and published a video on the YouTube channel talking about variety and how I think variety is the unsung hero of injury prevention. Because if we think about it, what are injuries? They're repetitive stress injuries. We need to reduce the repetitive nature of our sport as much as we can. Now, that doesn't mean don't run, you know, like we're runners, we are going to be running, but we need to be varying our shoes. We need to be running on different types of terrain. We need to be varying our speeds throughout the week. We need to be doing lots of other movements, you know, dynamic flexibility exercises as a, a warm up before we go running. And then at least a couple times a week, we need to be doing a good strength workout where we are going through a lot of different movements, exercises, ranges of motion. And those skills are really going to help us as runners. Right. You get like both ends of the spectrum, right? You get the repetitive stress injuries and you have the stuff like, oh, I haven't done that in three years. I'm going to try it. It's like, hmm, maybe not unless you really want to hurt yourself. Right. You're like you have like your little, you, know, you get the basketball hoop in the, in the driveway and your kid starts playing basketball and you're like, you know what? I used to be able to dunk an eight and a half rim. I'm going to go do that right now. It's like, all right, man, good luck. You know? 
Hopefully you don't end up on your back. (laughs) Right. That really speaks to progression, right? Like we can't just go try the dunk at eight and a half feet on the hoop right away. Let's do some skipping first. Then let's do some hops. Then let's do some plyometrics. And then once we've practiced our jumping a little bit, then we can just let it rip and go after that big through the legs dunk. Because I'm going to be right there with you, Matt, you know, dunking on my my eight-year-old. But I need to make sure that I'm not going to get hurt doing it. Right, right. Yeah, you, you, know, you want it to be a good story, not a bad story. All right. So we talked about why this is so important. And I'm with you 100%. If someone wants to get involved with, you know, your course, body weight power, what's the best way for them to do that? And what are some of the options they have? Yeah, so we have two versions of the program available. Um, The top tier includes a whole training plan library. So if you want the running plans in addition to the strength programming, and there's also an interview series uh, with Victoria Seckley, who I partnered with to help create the program. And she's the best. She's a rock star. Uh, She's not only a, a... USATF and Roadrunners Club of America certified running coach. She's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and she has a doctorate in physical therapy. So I'm, I'm so, so glad. So she's the brains. We, she's the brains of the operation, Jason. Right. I'm just here for <laughs> the good looks. I'm I'm like the model. <laughs> but uh, she really is is the mastermind behind the specific programming of the exercises and the progressions. Um, and, and she modeled the exercises. So it's it, it's not only, you know, running coach approved, but this is strength coach and physical therapist approved as well. And um, yeah, so we have the, the version of the program with all the extras, the running plans, the interview series, uh, interviewed a, a bunch of great people about different aspects of strength training and recovery training for the master's athlete as well. And you can see both options at strengthrunning.com slash bodyweight all one word. And uh, I know we talked about this before, Matt, but I didn't want to hook your podcast listeners up if they did decide on going for the program. If you use code rambling, you'll get 20% off either tier of the program. Um, so check it out at strengthrunning.com slash body There's two options available and that code will work for either one. That's really generous. Thank you, Jason. I know you also mentioned offline that this is going to be that that code is always going to be there. So this is a, this is, this is evergreen content, not just like this podcast is evergreen, but your content is evergreen. So if you're hearing this a year after we publish, you know, give the, give the code a try because, um, this is still going to be really relevant information for you. Um, and I'm really excited. So thank you for doing that for the listeners. Let me ask you this question in terms of when to start the program, because you mentioned, I remember, this is a process. You're going to be ramping up to certain things. Let's just use me for an example, right? So I'm interested in this. I think this is great stuff. I'm running a marathon on May 1st, right? So we're talking about six weeks out now, uh, five or six weeks out. So when would I you know, want to maybe engage with this if I'm currently in, in the process of building up to something that's an A race for me and maybe it's not the best fit to start right now or maybe it is? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think you have a couple options. So let, let's go through a bunch of the options. You know, it, it, there is a reason why this is a periodized program. It works best if you take a 16-week training plan and the 16-week bodyweight power strength program and you marry them. They are designed to go together. Now, with that said, you can use bodyweight power for a longer training cycle. You can use it for a shorter training cycle. Uh, In your case, Matt, if you're currently doing some bodyweight strength training, you know, you're not 
it's not completely alien to you. You know, you can do a couple sets of push-ups or squats or something, and you're not going to be really sore the next day. If that's the case, I might do the first six weeks of the program. You know, you're not going to get into the more power-oriented stuff, but you're, you still have time to benefit from a more methodical strength training approach. Now, if you're like three weeks out from your race, I might just say, hold off. You know, let's do, let's do some really basic stuff, but we don't need to start anything that's going to progress when, you know, you're basically going to start tapering any day now. You know, we shouldn't start anything new when you're just about ready to taper. So that's how I think runners should sort of think about this program is ideally you would marry it with a 16-week training program. We have guidance in the program if you want to use it for, say, 20 weeks or 12 weeks. So if you have a, you know, a shorter training cycle that, that you have in front of you, you know, how do you modify body weight power to work for you? Uh, six weeks, you start getting into like some tricky territory. I would say don't start it. If you're brand new to strength training, you've never started anything like this before. You know, you haven't been doing any strength work in the last couple of weeks. It's best not to really start too much with only six weeks to go. Um, but if you do have some experience with strength training and, and you're more looking to fine tune what you're already doing, I would say start from the beginning and you can do the first six weeks. But I think that's a good approach for most runners. And I think the I think, you know, everyone's different, but I feel like most people listening to this who are listening to this when it comes out or close to when it comes out are going to fall into two different camps. If I know my listeners fairly well, is that there can be people who like me who are going to be, all right, marathon's about to come up, right? There's going to be other people who are like, all right, I can, you know, maybe they just finished. So maybe they can start right from the start, right from the beginning. But I think besides the people like me, the other group is probably more like, all right, I'm running Chicago, in the fall or I'm running, you know, monumental in the fall. So I got a couple half marathons on the schedule, but you know, this is, you know, I'm just doing it to, to do it. I'm really excited about it, but it's not like an A race per se. So does it really matter in that situation? Or, you know, these are all kind of like B races in the spring to get me ready for my A race in the fall. I still think you can use the program for a B race. I, I don't think there's any reason why you wouldn't. Um, you know, even if, you know, your A race is this fall. Let's say you're running Chicago. You know, you would plan backwards to be like, okay, for Chicago, I'm going to use body weight power for 16 weeks before Chicago. So you you plan out those 16 weeks uh, from whatever the date in October that Chicago is this year. Um, and then, you know, before the plan starts, so maybe the, the 17th week out from Chicago, you probably want to take it super easy that week. You know, you want to start your training well-rested. You know, that doesn't mean, you know, you want to go into your training cycle after taking four weeks off. You know, you want to be fit but rested. So that 17th week should mostly be off from any kind of difficulty. You know, you probably don't want to do a big long run or a big workout or a big strength training session. You know, maybe take it as a recovery week. Some runners might want to take most of it completely off. But then continuing to work backwards from there, if you still have another 16 weeks from there, from now until that recovery week, you could just go through body weight power again. And we also have guidance on what to do the second time around when you're going through the program a second time. You know, this is not a one and done type of program. You can use it for years and years and still get a lot of value from it. Uh, and it can certainly be used for B races. You don't have to reserve this just for, you know, your A race. I, I think it's important to recognize that we should be doing some strength training almost year round. So some strength training almost year round. There's a lot of qualifiers in there, but I do think runners should be doing it very consistently, you know, and let's not really take more than 
two, three weeks off from doing any kind of consistent strength training. After that recovery period, let's get right back on the horse, start doing these workouts again. So if you're running, you're strength training. Yes, strength training, I think, enables the running. It enables you to stay healthy. It it enhances your running. It optimizes it. It makes it better. It makes you feel better when you're out there doing your training. So if you are running, you probably should be doing some strength training. There are very few exceptions. I love it. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show, for doing all the work that you do to get us all ready to be stronger, more consistent athletes. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Matt. It was a great chat with you. Thanks. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Again, head over to strengthrunning.com forward slash body weight and use code rambling to save 20% on the class. This is going to be really enjoyable. I can't wait to get started on this. That is for sure. My marathon is what? It's four weeks away. Four weeks away. I cannot believe it. That's part of the reason I asked him that question about, hey, when should people start this class? At what point in the process? For me, I'm going to start it uh, after my marathon is over, uh, but I'm definitely going to purchase it before then just to kind of play with a couple of different exercises and play with little things, play with a couple of uh, things just to kind of get my feel for it uh, because I'm also just really excited to get it, to get it going. Uh, it's one of those things where I love running, but I love being an athlete more, and I love when those two things mesh together that's when I am at my best, and I'm sure it is the same for you. So thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.